Welcome to Arctic Minded, a podcast where we discuss life, work, and research in the Arctic. Arctic Minded is produced by ArcticNet, a network of centers of excellence of Canada that brings together scientists, engineers, and other professionals in the human health, natural, and social sciences with partners from Inuit organizations, northern communities, federal and provincial agencies, as well as the private sector to study the impacts of climate and socioeconomic change in the Canadian North. From coast to coast to coast, we recognize that our work reaches across the ancestral and unceded territories of all the Inuit, Métis, and First Nations people that call these lands home and who have been protectors of and share connections with these lands since time immemorial. My name is Martin Lizotte. I am the Training and Knowledge Mobilization Coordinator at ArcticNet and your host for today's episode, during which we will be celebrating 20 years of research on the Canadian Coast Guard ship Amundsen. If you've never heard of the Amundsen icebreaker, you might be surprised to discover that it's actually featured on our Canadian $50 polymer banknotes. If you have a 50 in your wallet, check it out. That's the Amundsen. So why is this vessel so renowned and so significant that it should be featured on our bills? Well, that's exactly what we're going to explore in a two-part episode featuring guests that will share with us the stories behind the Amundsen and the ways it's shaped Arctic research and leadership in Canada's northern frontier. Many scientists, including the late Louis Fortier and the late David Barber, describe the Amundsen as an incubator of science for us to understand the Arctic and how it works. As you'll learn today, the Amundsen icebreaker has had and continues to have significant impact in the scientific world. In fact, in the last 20 years, the Amundsen has been pivotal in revitalizing Canada's research effort in the study of the changing Arctic Ocean. Every year, the research icebreaker accommodates hundreds of researchers, all sorts of experts and students participating in innovative programs that address a multitude of disciplines, including physical oceanography, chemistry, biology, ice, atmosphere, you name it. In this first part of the episode, we'll talk with Dr. Alexandre Forêt. He is the executive director of Amundsen Science, a not-for-profit corporation responsible for the management of the scientific mandate of the research icebreaker Amundsen. Dr. Forêt received his PhD in oceanography from Université Laval in 2009 and spent no less than 520 days in the Arctic on the Canadian Coast Guard ship Amundsen and other vessels since 2003 as part of various scientific expeditions. At Amundsen Science, Dr. Forêt manages a team of 17 highly qualified technicians, logistics, administrative coordinators who work in support of the annual scientific expeditions of the Amundsen. He also links with senior management at the Coast Guard, and he ensures that the strategic vision and the objectives developed by the uh, Amundsen Science Board of Directors are appropriately implemented. Dr. Forêt is a specialist of Arctic shelf seeds and an expert in carbon fluxes and obviously passionate about research vessels, oceanography instruments, and the Arctic Ocean in general. He has authored numerous scientific reports in more than 35 peer-reviewed publications, and he shares with us today the intriguing story of how 
the Amundsen icebreaker came to be. The Amundsen has been built in uh, 1979, and initially it was named the Sir John Franklin. So for over uh, more than 20 years, the ship just sailed as a regular icebreaker, you know, uh, um, in the icing the uh, St. Lawrence Estuary, for example. And then in the early 2000s, what was really intriguing is that the, uh, the federal government, which was trying to reach the uh, zero deficit at the time, just said that we that there was one Coast Guard icebreaker that was in surplus. You know, there was one too much icebreaker. So they decided to declassify the, the icebreaker just to uh, bring it to the graveyard somehow. And then for more than two years, the ship didn't have any name, uh, did not sail. It, it was just uh, becoming rusty in, in Newfoundland, close to St. John's, serving at, you know, as a platform also for seamen to, to, you know, before boarding another vessel. So uh, in the early 2000s, at the same time, uh, Canada was really lacking uh, research vessels in, in, in Canada, like, of course, today, but at the time it was even more obvious. And there was one big program which was named the Canadian Arctic Shelf uh, Exchange Study, which has been just financed by the NSERC uh, uh, program, but they were lacking an icebreaker. So at the same time as they were lacking an icebreaker, a new program from the CFI just came to life, uh, which was the International Joint Venture Program. And then uh, Louis Fortier had this brilliant idea at the time to uh, bring back the Sir John Franklin to life to actually serve the Canadian Arctic Shelf Exchange Study Program. And this is when the Amundsen was born. So for over two years, the ship has been completely refitted. All of the laboratories inside uh, were built, many transformations from the inside. So it was a true collaboration at the time between the Coast Guard, uh, universities, and uh, it was even before ArcticNet, so it was really just to serve this first program, so bringing back this uh, Sir John Franklin to life and re-christening the icebreaker yeah. as the Amundsen. So in 2003, 20 years ago, the Canadian Coast Guard ship Amundsen rose from the decommissioned hull of the vessel formerly known as the Sir John Franklin, now equipped with state-of-the-art scientific equipment and ready to start its inaugural year-long voyage. So what did that ship now look like? So the, the Amundsen is, is a full uh, university building at sea. So it's, it's like uh, going into any kind of um, engineering uh, faculty building. You will have all the labs and the facilities to do research. So it's completely different than any other Coast Guard icebreakers or a, any smaller research vessels in Canada. It's fully equipped. And actually, the main objective is to serve uh, objectives of uh, any kind of research uh, study. So from um, geology, marine bi biology, it could be glaciology, it could be atmospheric sciences, um, and so on. So it's really a, a multidisciplinary platform. Even over the time, it served as a, as a clinic, as a floating clinic for some of the uh, Inuit health studies, which are now conducted from land. But uh, some of them have been conducted from the Amundsen and, and actually started the cycle of uh, Inuit health studies that are that continue today. So it's a, it's really a, a versatile platform. Uh, we uh, a student that will come on board won't find himself or herself completely uh, lost because it's exactly like a lab in any kind of in any university. So it's um, it's it's not different. So we, we have all the facilities. In addition, you have everything. Uh, actually, to make your life easier, you have the you know cafeteria very close. Uh, you can go on deck. You have uh, spaces also to relax and so on. 
uh, you you will meet new friends and it's um it's like having a, a mini village at sea a mini university at sea i would say a floating university faculty equipped with its own helicopter in the middle of the arctic ocean but would you be surprised to know that the ship actually has a huge hole in the middle of its hull you know the normally watertight body of the ship as you will hear from Alexandre, this hole is called a moon pool, an opening in the base of the hull giving access to the water below, allowing researchers to lower tools, lower instruments, ROVs, and small submersible crafts to enter and leave the water easily in a protected environment. So the hole in the hull is called what, uh, a moon pool. So it's uh, quite useful when we have a sea ice around the ship to sample the ocean. And this happened at many times over the course of the history of the ship. Uh, to, for example, during the uh, overwintering programs, the cases program I was mentioning, but also the CFL, Circumpolar Flaw Lead Program, that took place over 2007 and 8. And even more recently, with some of the programs that we conducted in the St. Lawrence Estuary. So, this hole in the hull is, uh, is really useful when actually the ship needs to go in some places where there's too much ice. And then you need to access the ocean to sample uh, water plankton, even sediments. And it has been used also uh, for many years to deploy our remotely operated vehicle. But now we have a bigger one, which cannot be deployed from the moon pool. So we deploy it from the outside. But nevertheless, it's a really useful instrument. And uh, even some of the uh, international collaborators that we have, they were inspired by this moon pool. And they are now designing new vessels in their country uh, on the template of what we've been doing for the Amundsen. Not only has the ship been an inspiration for other countries in terms of its pool of equipment and instruments, as well as its scientific vocation and management, it has, over the past 20 years, achieved significant milestones. In terms of milestones, of course, the, the first year was quite uh, ambitious, you know, it was the long at the time, it was the most uh, ambitious expedition ever undertaken by, by humans in, in the Arctic Ocean. So more than a year uh, with, with an icebreaker, having all those international teams coming up on board with the collaboration of uh, Inuit communities because they were there actually since day one. So it's, uh, it's really important to underscore that. The second milestone was really uh, when ArcticNet took over the management of the ship in 2004. Because at the same time, you know, we had this big infrastructure and there was a need to, to, to start some monitoring program, long-term time series of uh, the ocean variability, of um, biological activity and so on. And, uh, and the, the Amundsen really served this purpose. So uh, bringing ArcticNet to a stage where there's enough data to really understand you know, climate change and so on in collaboration with, um, you know, uh, Northerners and also from uh, people from abroad. So then after that, in the uh, early 2010s, I would say uh, there was the, um, a big momentum by the federal government to explore the Arctic Ocean for oil and gas. So, uh, and at the time, uh, the Amundsen has been used to collect baseline data to for, for, you know, oil and gas exploration. That might seem a bit uh, brutal, but the conclusion of all that we need to remember is that this led to the fact that there's a moratorium now on oil and gas exploration and exploitation in the Canadian Arctic. And the, those baseline studies that have been conducted at the time, although they were made from the Amundsen, truly served the purpose of preserving and protecting uh, the, the North. 
And uh, further on, if we continue in time, in the early, late 2010s, around 2017, 18, uh, we, we got funded by the Major Science Initiative Program from the CFI, and this provided an opportunity to even more, you know, diversify uh, the, the user base of the Amundsen. Because as you could understand, for almost 10 to 15 years, the Amundsen was really under the management of ArcticNet, and then when the, the funding framework changed, uh, we, uh, the, the MSI program came on board, and then the, the user base has been truly diversified with many collaborations, many other programs, and now you know it's um, it's really a multi-disciplinary and multi-program platform. So it's uh, welcoming new programs that have been led in the early days by ArcticNet students that are now professors and so on. It's really, uh, I think, a, a big milestone. And the fact that the ship is still fully used every year is really a sign that this kind of infrastructure is needed in Canada, because we cannot really underscore enough how much we can achieve which, with, with a ship like that, you know, which is a, 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 a faculty building at sea and welcoming people from abroad, from the north, from universities and so on. And then I think in the last few years, this um, consolidation of the fact that Amundsen is now a really accessible platform, uh, that we can facilitate new programs, that we encourage collaborations. I think it's, it's really a big milestone in my opinion because the, the, um, it's not only dedicated to one single program or one single objective, it's really diversified completely. Productive and fruitful collaborations developed over the years, which underscore the instrumental role of the Amundsen in supporting Arctic research in Canada and at the international level. As a mobile laboratory, the Icebreaker has connected different communities, including government and academic researchers, as well as extending to local Indigenous communities and external partners. The Amundsen also boasts international partnerships, with its inclusion in the Arctic Research Icebreaker Consortium, ARICE, alongside other flagship vessels, such as the German research vessel Polarstern. Uh, for the international community, uh, Canada is, is seen and still seen as a leader in Arctic oceanography and marine sciences in, in general. And uh, actually, the, the Amundsen was really key to, uh, to, to, to bring this leadership you know, uh, at the cutting edge of what should be done in terms of international uh, research initiatives. And what we could see is people abroad, you know, coming on the ship, uh, researchers, and trying to mimic a bit the, the, the exactly the same kind of, uh, you know, framework that we've been doing with multidisciplinary programs, collaborations, and so on. And this is why we are now part of um, what, what is called the uh, uh, Polar Research Icebreaker Consortium. So it's ARICE, Arctic Research Icebreaker Consortium. And this is just beginning to be kind of a little family of infrastructure that can be shared among people from abroad. So Europeans will come or from other countries on the ship, and then people from Canada could go on other ships from, from elsewhere. And I think this kind of international collaboration is really important. Sometimes in Canada, we forget that there's something else outside of Canada. And I think with, with the Amundsen, it's so important to see that, you know, Canada has a role to play, not only internally, because we have the diversity of, of different objectives and so on, but internationally, we do have a role, and it's really important to keep this role attached completely. For example, we have a, 
I would say, an idea that in the next few years to bring other icebreakers from abroad into a very large programs with uh, other vessels that um, from other countries. So this is potentially coming to light. We'll see. But uh, this is the kind of idea that we have these days. One of the things I've found compelling about the scientific missions on the Amundsen is the increased space created over the years for learning, training, but also the acknowledgement of several ways of knowing and the recognition that diversity is a key component of excellence. We, uh, we just had uh, recently the, the first Inuit chief scientist aboard the vessel to lead a very ambitious program in the Labrador Sea and Baffin Bay. Uh, we, we have uh, new collaborations directly serving, uh, you know, communities. We are hiring also uh, Inuit as training, uh, trainees on board the ship. At some point, you know, everything is, is, um, is, is merging and we, uh, it's really working as a true community. And you can really feel it when you're aboard the vessel. And, uh, you know, I think this is really the way to go, working uh, together and uh, because there's no... There's no limitations, you know, the ocean is there, the coast is there, the land is there. When you, uh, you understand it from a holistic perspective, this is how Arctic science, in my opinion, should be. So there's no um, other alternative than just bringing everyone together to understand the same, the same environment. We, we support students from every horizon. So everyone that would like to come on board through a, a program, of course, there's a, a need to be attached to some program. We will try to facilitate uh, accommodate and try to find a way to make sure that uh, a given student with uh, any, for example, even disabilities could come on board and, and make uh, his or her science. Uh, that's, that's no problem at all. Of course, in terms of international diversity, of course, that's there. But in terms of, uh, of diversity of programs, diversity of, uh, of participants, it's, it's just increasing. You know, we, we, we developed over the years a, a, a diversity index just to showcase to the Canada Foundation for Innovation that we're reaching this goal. And uh, we, it's just increasing. Diversity of participants, diversity of user programs, diversity of research objectives. And this is a bit difficult to, to calculate, but it's, uh, we're getting there. But this is just an example of what we, we were trying to achieve. I think the... Uh, Diversity into science is the sign of excellent science. So this is what we, not more than what we believe, you know, this is what, in, this is our main objective, yeah. Holistic science that makes ample room for diverse voices. That's an important objective of all the expeditions being conducted on the Amundsen. This year in 2023, the ship left its home port of Quebec City on July 8th for a 111-day journey across the Arctic. Alexandre tells us about the diverse scientific programs being deployed this year, including many ArcticNet-funded projects. Yeah, so ArcticNet is, is, of course, a suite of different um, projects. So for us, we are supporting all those different projects. Uh, it could be studying our, you know, Arctic calcs, uh, of course, uh, geology with the Arctic seafloor program, they, are, they will get, uh, of course, as, as much as they would like this year, studying some areas close, close by to glaciers. Uh, we have the biogeochemical programs, which is really important. Uh, big tie, a lot of attachments with the, uh, the Fox SIP program, which is a program uh, focusing on the Fox uh, basin taking place uh, next October. Uh, we have, of course, the, 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 the uh, I would say the long-term end-train program, which was called in, in the early days the 
nutrient and, and carbon um, uh, fluxes uh, program. And I, I think it's, um, this is exactly in this kind of project that you can size actually the, the, the value of those long-term time series. You know, it's not only one year, it's now 15 and 20 years of data. Uh, the, the kind of publications that you can do with that will go, you know, above what anything else in Arctic science can go because we are we have been building the long-term time series in the Arctic science almost, <laughs> maybe uh, for, for some exceptions, but in terms of synoptic activities, that's really where we have, when you see the footprint of the Amundsen in the Canadian Arctic with all those data, you know, you should not see that as a, you know, a way, a, a presence, but, you know, it's, it's really a scientific knowledge that has been acquired. And this is thanks to all those different projects that continue these days. So we have also the Red Owl project focusing on the uh, Nara Strait and Lincoln Sea areas, which are typically not reachable, but we'll try this year to go. And even next year with an expanded program uh, in collaboration with France. So this is, uh, and of course we have the contaminant program, which is another example of, uh, of, of a project within ArcticNet, which has been there since the early days and uh, is, is continuing and, you know, collecting data that are really, really precious to understand the variability. And this feeds again into uh, social uh, projects, medical projects, and all those connections, you know, at the beginning, you cannot really feel how much you will gain with one uh, dot. <laughs> and then, but when you accumulate those dots and you begin to connect the dots, and then you connect those dots with other webs after that, in terms of disciplines, you can really feel that the value of, of you know, the effort that has been in, uh, you know, undertaken to collect even one data or one sample of course when you take it you know um, by itself it, there's no much value but when you kind of you begin to build those long-term time series and expand them with other disciplines and other uh, objective i think this is really a major um, milestone of arctic net over the years connecting the dots and you know going beyond the given disciplines to connect with what is useful uh, for humans and for the society uh, in the North. The Amundsen is now 44 years old and has recently undergone a complete refit to extend its life for more than 10 years. The repairs equip the ship with new instruments to support both Canadian Coast Guard missions and scientific data acquisition. But beyond this life extension, will the vessel itself need to be replaced at some point? What are the options to make sure that we maintain our strong seagoing polar research capabilities and sustain productive national and international networks? So uh, um, the Amundsen should be, you know, fully useful and operational at least the late uh, 2030s. So this is something that we we know, you know, the, with the status of the ship. And there's another vessel life extension plan around 2029. So we should reach. Uh, the late 2030s. But the, the big issue in Canada is that it takes ages <laughs> before uh, building new vessels. And we need to think now about the, you know, the strategy for the future. And this is where we're trying to uh, invest efforts uh, because we believe that sh Canada should have actually at least one fully dedicated research icebreaker 
that will be kind of the equivalent of the uh, charge station in the north, an icebreaker that could welcome international collaborators, continue with a dedicated research mandate, increasing uh, studies uh, with respect to community-based objectives and this kind of uh, environment, and uh, actually training the next generation, you know, the, the other one that will follow us <laughs> in the future. Because the, uh, the Canadian Arctic is as much land as, as it is oceans. And in some places, of course, you can go with small vessels, coastal studies, and this is all needed. You know, there's a place for everyone, everyone. Uh, true research icebreaker dedicated to science. There's no way that Canada can avoid that in the future. And it, but it's a bit challenging because uh, the, the the Coast Guard has a, some other views on on the future of uh, the icebreakers that will gonna be built in the next few years with more multidisciplinary uh, you know uh, mandate, which is for us a bit challenging to face and we're trying to being heard. But it's uh, it's uh, you know I think we'll need to rally as a community and um, make sure that our voice is heard. And uh, this is where we're gonna be investing efforts in actually now and in the short term. So the way is really to develop a new dedicated research icebreaker for Canada that will follow up on what the Amundsen has been undertaking because there's no equivalent. You know, if we build those, um, you know, versatile uh, modular icebreaker in the future, of course, they will still be you know, fully operational and so on but we will be missing the integration that we can do with the Amundsen. You know, the integration of people, the integration of science, the integration of disciplines, of research objectives. And when you don't have a, a current program driving all that, you lose the essence of what should be Canada in terms of Arctic science leadership. So I think we'll keep our place, but we need to fight hard because, uh, uh, you know, from a, a federal or governmental perspective, it's a bit challenging, but we're getting there. Integration of people, science, disciplines, and goals. That has been at the center of initiatives and projects deployed on the Amundsen over the past 20 years. If, like me, you found the story of the Amundsen fascinating, I invite you to listen to the second segment of this two-part episode, which features Dr. Maxime Geoffroy, an early career scientist who started as a master's student on the Amundsen 14 years ago and who is now leading his own research group at Memorial University of Newfoundland. Before we say goodbye, I want to invite those of you who are interested in learning more about Amundsen science and Arctic Net research to consult the show notes where you'll find links to different websites. To everyone, take care. <laughs>